0: Good morning. This is God's word from Mark five, one through 13. They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea
1: thanks for us good morning one of my favorite authors is C S Lewis and in his book the lion witch in the wardrobe towards the end of the book lucy has had this experience with aslan the Jesus figure, the Christ figure in the book, the lion. And during the book, she's seen that he's got a mind of his own. He goes his own way. He does what he thinks. We can't control him. He's having a discussion. She is at the end of the book with Mr. Beaver, who says to her, he'll be coming and going. One day you'll see him and another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down. And of course, he has other countries to attend to. That's quite all right. He'll often drop in, only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. <laughs> I love the description, the the picture here of the book of Mark, who Jesus is with the lion at the top. Note the eyes, the piercing eyes, the power that's displayed, and yet the tenderness. You he see, he's a lion that cannot be controlled or Tamed, And for Lucy, that's challenging because you don't know what he's going to do. It's the same for us, right? It creates challenges in our lives as well. It, it's tough sometimes because he doesn't do what we think he should do, what our idea of what God is like or who he should heal or how he should heal, etc., etc. But he reminds us in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, where it says this, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For, verse 8, My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Neither are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. He does things beyond what we understand. He heals and forgives far beyond what we as humans would. But he also doesn't heal sometimes when we think he should. We all at times, I think, as believers, struggle with that. It leaves us with a choice. Do we withdraw from him or do we surrender to him and let him be God and trust him as God? What does it mean for us to really trust him? even when we don't understand His ways. Well, I think most of all, we need a fresh understanding of Him. We need to see Him more clearly for who He really is in His power and His goodness. And I think that's what we get in today's passage. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage together, may You open our eyes and give us that fresh vision of the incredible power of the Lord Jesus, that he's not a tame lion, that he acts in ways that we can't control, and yet he is good and loving and kind. May we see you, Jesus, more clearly through this passage today in Jesus' name. Amen. I love this passage because it's such a wonderful picture of both Jesus' humanity and his deity as God. As chapter 5 of Mark begins, it's set in this context of a really, really long day. Jesus has been teaching parables on the Sea of Galilee. And he taught all day, and it says in the evening, he said, let's get into the boat. So the disciples got into the boat, and Rod taught us last week about what happened as they went out, and a storm came up, and they were terrified in the middle of the night. Jesus is so exhausted as a human being, he's asleep. Even while the storm is raging and the boat's about to sink, and so they have to wake him up. And he gets up and he calms the sea, the incredible picture of his power over nature and over our circumstances. Well, it says in our passage that they reached the other side of the sea, so it could still be night or at least early morning. It says they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him a man of the tombs with an unclean spirit. Jesus doesn't get a chance to rest. He had to be exhausted. Immediately, this man shows up. Now, where is he? He's in the region of the Gerasenes. This is on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. The west side and the north side is Jewish territory, but the east side... That's Gentile territory. That's why you have pigs. Obviously, the Jews would never raise pigs. But here there's pigs being raised for the Roman army to feed them. It's a Gentile area, the region of the Gerasenes. And so Jesus shows up in this Gentile area and a man shows up, an unclean man in an unclean land. First thing we see about this man is it says he comes out of the tombs. Now that's a picture of uncleanness right there because the Jews could not go into a cemetery. They couldn't step on a grave or they'd be declared unclean and be unclean for several days. And it says next, we find out about the man that he has an unclean spirit. That word unclean is a ritual word. So this man is unclean. It's a demonic spirit, clearly, but it makes him unclean. It separates him from God. Here's a man who lives in a place that separates him from God, and within him is something that separates him from God, this man is completely separated from who God is. And to have an unclean spirit, I think, says that at some point this man babbled in demonism and turned his life over to demons. That's my understanding, as I've thankfully had fairly limited... uh, spiritual warfare opportunities dealing with demons, but I have had some. And my understanding is that you can't have this kind of possession and control of someone unless at some point they've turned their life over. And when they turn their life over to demons to try to get something from them, they become controlled and possessed like this man was. Like one woman I worked with who had committed herself to a Satanist cult became a Satanist priestess. And she said very clearly to me, said, Oh, yeah, I gave my life to Satan. And I did it because I wanted the power that I saw. But as she talked about it, it was destroying her life. God had saved her, fortunately, but, but she had a lot of baggage to deal with. But she did it because of the power that was available. And this man, I think, did the same. She described for me once where she said, Yeah, there was this one time this man was coming at me. I didn't like what he was doing. And so I made him fly against the far wall without touching him. Oh, there's power, all right. That's why you see a man here who's able to break the shackles, break the chains. People couldn't hold him. So obviously there's a spiritual brokenness about this man. But think about the other aspects of brokenness in his life. He was rejected by his society, his culture. They didn't know what to do. All they could do was try to bind him in chains. He's homeless. He's living among the tombs. He's clearly mentally ill. If he was living today, he'd be diagnosed probably with DID, dissociative identity disorder, or multiple personality as it used to be called. He has this superhuman strength that the demons give him. It says that he's screaming among the tombs and in the mountains. It's a picture of emotional distress and pain. What comes out of his mouth is this Torture that he's experiencing, this personal pain. And it says he was gashing himself with rocks, like people sometimes do today in their emotional distress and pain. They will cut themselves, and it's unfortunately way too common among our young people. They cut themselves to feel some kind of physical pain to try to get away from the emotional pain they feel inside. Popular today are zombies. The walking dead. You want a picture of someone who's walking dead? It's this man. This garrison demoniac. He's spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, socially broken. Could anyone be worse off than him? It's hard to imagine. And his society did not know what to do for him except bind him. You know, I think, In our culture, we don't know what to do with people who are really broken either. And so what do we do? We bind them with medication. We just throw enough drugs at them. Maybe it'll keep them out of the way and out of our hair. But we don't know what to do with broken people any more than they did in their culture. You see, I think Mark is giving to us a picture of what happens to humanity at its extreme when we move away from God when we give ourselves to the demonic world, when we make poor choices in our lives, when we're broken by the pain that others inflict upon us, and he looks absolutely hopeless. And I know there's some here this morning that feel like that. You've got brokenness in your own life. People that have wronged you and done harm to you, and there's brokenness because of that, or you've made bad choices yourself, or maybe you're tied down and bound with resentment that you can't seem to forgive and let go of. For whatever reason, there's brokenness in every one of us because we live in a broken world. Are we beyond help? Are you beyond help? You or someone you know? Can Jesus touch that kind of life or is there no hope except to just take drugs or be bound and tell You get to go be with Jesus someday. What we see in this passage is that Jesus is not a tame lion. (laughs) He is powerful enough to deal with those kinds of brokenness, even the most extreme, like this man here. Let's look at the amazing healing, verse six through thirteen. Notice the immediate response of the demons when they he saw Jesus from afar. He ran and fell down before him. (laughs) I love that picture. Jesus steps onto the shore. He looks like an ordinary man, but the demons know who he is. And the demons prompt this man to come and they fall on his face. He falls on his face because he knows that the only hope in dealing with someone who's as powerful as Jesus, who is the Son of God as he declares him to be, The only hope is to beg for mercy if you're a demon. And that's exactly what he does. The demons know who Jesus is and they realize they have no power before him. Their best hope is to beg for mercy. Never forget, brothers and sisters, that Jesus has absolute power over the demonic world. That yes, we're in spiritual warfare, but what does the scriptures tell us? If Jesus is in us and we're standing in the name of Jesus, what does it say? Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. He has no power over us. Because of Jesus who has absolute power over the spiritual world, we need not fear. And so I love this picture because it's a powerful scene. Imagine being one of the disciples who... You've just been through this incredible experience of Jesus teaching and then you watch him calm the storm and the disciples respond with, who is this guy? And now they're seeing this demonic man fall down and begging for mercy. And so Jesus asked their name. He was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. In verse nine, Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many a legion was in the Roman army 6,000 men now there are literally 6,000 demons in this man maybe but I think the point is there are a lot I mean you talk about multiple personality this guy had it he's about about in a bad a shape as you could possibly be and so what did this legion do you think they'd have incredible power it's a whole army And what happened? He begged Him earnestly not to send them out of the country. then there's this great herd of pigs. And so what do the demons do? They say, please send us into the pigs. (laughs) Now, I don't know what it would have meant to be sent out of the country versus the pigs. I don't know what that gained these demons. I'm guessing not much. But Jesus answers their prayer. Do Do you see that? They ask Him... Please don't torment us. Please don't send us out of the country. Send us into the pigs. And Jesus answers their prayer. I don't know about you, but that's kind of mind-blowing to me that he does what the demons ask. He's not a tame lion. (laughs) He doesn't do what we would expect. Why does he do what the demons ask? I don't know. But I have to trust that Jesus knew what he was doing despite the financial loss to the owners of the pigs, right? They just lost all their pigs. Despite the death of these animals, some have said, well, that's terrible. Why would Jesus kill all these pigs? Well, you know, doesn't he love animals? <laughs> well, remember, they were destined for to be slaughtered anyway for the Roman armies to feed them. But I think it's worth saying that, sure, Jesus loves animals. He created them all, but... Jesus has a different priority than our culture tends to have. Yes, people are more important, and he was willing to sacrifice 2,000 pigs to save one demonic man. Our culture is willing to kill millions of babies through abortion, but throw people in jail for disturbing a bird's nest. Something's wrong with our value system. Should we be kind and generous to animals? Sure. But let's not get our priorities messed up. Jesus cares more about a person knowing him than protecting an animal. So note how this story shows Jesus' absolute authority over the demonic world. He's not a tame lion. And there's something else going on kind of behind the scenes that I think it's important to note here. Mark, as he tells this story, is, I believe, drawing a comparison between Jesus and Moses. Remember the story of Exodus, where Moses comes as the great Redeemer who's there to save the people of Israel from Egypt. And he comes and he does miracles and then he leads them across the sea just as Jesus led his disciples through the storm across the Sea of Galilee. And then he confronts the enemy and the enemy, the legions, the army, was cast into the sea under Moses and destroyed. Notice Jesus cast the legion into the pigs, and then they are drowned in the sea, just like, like the Egyptians were. Interesting parallel, but let's notice the differences as well as the parallel, right? Because Jesus is making it clear the enemy is not the Romans or the Egyptians, it's not pagans, it's not Gentiles. Who's the enemy? the demons, the demonic world. Satan's the enemy. And in fact, Jesus is going to go on to do what he can to save the pagan, the Gentiles, not destroy them. Just like he saves this man who seems who's a Gentile who looks beyond redemption, he saves him. You see, Jesus is the Redeemer, far greater Redeemer than Moses is. And he brings redemption and life and freedom and wholeness to us. So this is a marvelous picture of a lion who's not tame, who's all-powerful, who can conquer death, who can break free the chains that bind us, who can heal brokenness. It's a marvelous picture, but as the story goes on, it's very interesting to see the shocking responses that people have. Verse 14 through 16, The herdsmen fled, yeah, I would flee too, I think. <laughs> They've just seen their whole herd of pigs go down the bank into the sea and drown. So they fled and they told it in the city and in the country. They ran everywhere. They're knocking on doors. They're saying, you won't believe what just happened. This was amazing. Uh, we were there and the demon, this guy, the demon-possessed guy, you've heard him screaming. You know who he is. And look, guess what happened? He's like healed and... These pigs, and they're telling the whole story. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. The people come and they see this scene. For one, there's a whole bunch of pigs floating upside down out in the water. <laughs> no bacon this week, I guess. And they're seeing Jesus standing there and the demon-possessed man sitting at his feet who'd been naked according to the other Gospels and now he's clothed. Someone had loaned him clothing and in his right mind. When Jesus touched this man's life, he healed him, not just casting out the demons, but he healed his mind He healed him spiritually. He healed him emotionally. He healed him psychologically. He touched all areas of life. And I like the way Mark puts it. He says, They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion. As if there were, you know, someone else there. It's like, (laughs) hey, this is the one who Jesus healed and cast out the legion. There's no mistaking, these people are seeing something incredibly powerful. They're seeing the power of Jesus displayed. It's an amazing event and a picture of God's power. And what's their response? Fear. They were terrified. They, they look at this and they say, Wow, there's something here beyond our experience. God has shown up and we aren't sure we like it. The demons bowed down to Jesus when they saw him. But the people are afraid and eventually ask him to leave. What are they afraid of? Well, this is someone who has power that we don't understand. He's already cost us something economically. Gee, he might demand more of us. Not sure I like that. I like being in control of my own life. Not sure I want to submit to a lion that's not tame that might do far beyond what I would want him to do. I like the way Ray Stedman put it. These people are hidden in the tenderest part of their anatomy, their pocketbook. <laughs> and instead of rejoicing, they plead with Jesus to leave. You know, I, I'm struck as I think about this. I, I run into people fairly often who are struggling, and they, I've had people say to me several times, You know, I really can't believe in the miracles of the Bible. I really can't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, you know, and if Jesus would just do a miracle that I can see, I would believe in him. You know what? This story shows us that even seeing a miracle of God right before your eyes is no guarantee that you'll believe. Jesus said that, right? They're wrestling, hey, do a miracle! The Jews are saying, and he says, you know what? Even if someone rose from the dead, you still wouldn't believe. The issue is not wanting to see a miracle. The issue is our own hearts. Do we want to submit to God or maintain maintain control of our own lives? That's the issue. They're terrified of how he might take control. And they don't want to give it up. So what's their response? Verse 17, they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They don't want to be healed. They want to stay in control. They want to run their own lives. They want to be comfortable. And Jesus doesn't come to make us comfortable. He's not a tame lion. Uh, I see many of us struggle with that. We think, you know, if Jesus, Jesus if you really loved us, you would fix this part of my life. You'd heal the way I want you to. You would make my life better, etc., etc. And you know what? Jesus is not committed first and foremost to make us comfortable he's committed to make us christ-like that means he has a different agenda and so he's not a tame lion so he doesn't do things the way we think he should his ways are not our ways and notice verse 18 the first little phrase as he was getting into the boat they begged him to leave we don't want you around here and you know what he does what they ask Crazy. He does what they ask. See, Jesus doesn't force himself on us. If we don't want to submit to him, he doesn't force us to submit to him. So verse 18 through 20. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Here's another interesting part of the story. This healed man, this new man, who'd been set free from the demons. He has new life. It's incredible. And He says, man, Jesus, I just want to be with you. And Jesus says, no, go home. Go home and become a witness. What God has done for you. Now, I don't know about you, but again, this just reminds me Jesus is not a tame lion. He does what the demons ask, (laughs) he does what the townspeople ask, but he doesn't do what the healed man asks let him come with him. But because, again, he has a deeper purpose, he's not a tame lion. And what is his command? His command to the man is go home. Go reestablish your home, your family relationships. You've been rejected by society. You've lived a life of complete death. Go home and experience restoration with your family and your community. Live out your new life, your new identity. And then speak. Speak forth a couple things. What great things God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You haven't deserved it, but now speak, speak forth. He becomes the first witness to Jesus in the book of Mark, and he becomes a witness to the Gentile world, which shows God's compassion on the Gentiles in the Decapolis, which is east of the Sea of Galilee. We today have global outreach workers, the Mannings, working in that very area of Decapolis, sharing Christ today, and people are coming to Christ just as this man did 2,000 years ago in the Gentile Muslim world. So this screaming man at the beginning of the story, shouting in pain, has been healed, and now he is speaking forth the gospel, simply being a witness like we're all called to be. Now some of you are evangelists, and you are good at sharing your faith. Praise God for that. But for the rest of us, we are all called to be witnesses, like a courtroom witness who's on the stand, who's told to just share what you've seen, what you've experienced. That's all. And that's exactly what he tells this man. Go share what great things God has done for you and how God has had mercy on you. Folks, I don't know about you, but this is a challenge to me makes me think how well do i do that do i how well do i talk about jesus with not just christian friends but with the non-christian world do i do i say this is what jesus has done for me this is how he's shown mercy on me this is how he's changed my life this is how he's forgiven me this is how he's begun to set me free from my own sin and the own struggles the struggles of my own life you see that's what we're all called to and I encourage you to pray for one another and pray for me that we might be bold in talking about Jesus, in gossiping about Jesus, in sharing what God has done. That is a calling that every one of us has given. We are to go home like this man in our own worlds, in our own contexts, and tell what great things God has done for us. So what can we learn from this story? Let me just highlight some of the implications, some of the truths we need to learn from this. Number one, Jesus has all authority. We need not fear the enemy. We have an enemy, Satan and his demons, but we need not fear. Jesus is in control. The enemy is not radical Islam. The enemy is not the Democratic Party. The enemy is not ISIS. The enemy is Satan. He is our enemy. We are to love our enemies on earth, human enemies, not fight them. Jesus has all power and authority. Secondly, Jesus can heal the most broken life, a life the world can't help. But third, Jesus is not a tame lion. He acts in ways that you will not understand. He doesn't always heal like we would like or in the timing that we would like. And so our opportunity then is to either push him away or surrender to him. But here's something we need to remember. We can always trust in his love because of the cross. We will know that though he doesn't do exactly what we think he should, he will always do what's best for us. How do we know that? Because he's proven it. And let me tell you another kind of secret part of this story that I think Mark purposely puts in here. Mark identifies Jesus with the demonic man. Think about it. Jesus on the cross a few chapters later and this demonic man. Both are bound. Both are cut and bleeding. Both are naked. Both are isolated. Both cry out in a loud voice. And both are left for dead in the tombs. I think what Mark is trying to emphasize here is that Jesus takes on our brokenness. He becomes our brokenness. He becomes the demonic man. He takes on all our brokenness on the cross in his love and his care for us. He bore our iniquity. He carried our sin. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. You may not understand the things that Jesus does when you surrender to Him, but you can always trust that He loves you and is acting for your good. The cross proves that, brothers and sisters. And then finally, He heals us to use us to expand His kingdom, not to make us comfortable. So our choice is, do we surrender to this lion that is more powerful than we ever imagined and trust that He's good and become those instruments of His where we bear witness to the incredible power of Jesus, that He is Lord and He's done incredibly merciful things in our lives? Or do we ask Him to leave? Do we push Him away so we can continue to run our own lives? Which will we choose? He's not a tame lion but he's good. He's proven it on the cross. Let's pray. Lord, this story is such a marvelous picture of your absolute power and your incredible love for a man that's broken. We in our brokenness, Lord, come to you and ask for your healing hand that you might heal us in the way and in the time that you choose and that you might use us to expand your kingdom as we bear witness to what you have done. May we live out this new life you've given us. We pray in Jesus' name.
0: Amen.